thank you for clicking and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hi, I'm Jim Dudley. Jim, one of the things that is, it's, a, it's a troubling topic, it's, it's a taboo topic, uh, but it's one we should routinely come back to or regularly come back to, and that's um, police officer suicide. There's um, certain stigma, of course, to seeking assistance if you feel um, you know, you're in need or you see a, a colleague who might be um, in danger. Uh, not too long ago, I wrote an article that kind of outlines some of uh, what we'll discuss here. It's the, the notion of how to actually create and maintain a proper support structure that prevents police officer suicide. Um, what what f- has been your experience um, in your career about programs that you've seen to be effective or, or tactics and techniques to help people in need? Yeah, sadly, I, I have experienced um, officers under my command um, who, who've fallen uh, as a, a suicide uh, victim. And of course, in retrospect, people talk about behavior changes and things that people may have said or, or did that was out of the ordinary for them. And I really think that the officer's peers and their first-line supervisors, sergeants, um, should, should really be paying attention to signals in behavior, uh, mood changes, um, acting out of character, um, saying things. Um, rather than rationalize them away to, to really pay attention and, and to offer support um, through their own um, employee assistance programs. Yeah. And, you know, I think that some of the most influential people um, in an agency are, are kind of your, your hard charger, your number one cop, the guys, the gals who are who just gain so much respect by their actions and how they do the job and how they carry themselves and how they prepare. Um, and altogether too often, they're not the folks who are selected um, for you know, the peer support programs. They are, they're off doing you know, big time enforcement. They're putting up great numbers. They're doing all those things. But they're the people who I would imagine when someone's in need, if the, I would go to someone I, would, I have the most respect for. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, 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 I would not feel comfortable going to someone necessarily who I didn't have a ton of respect for. And so I think that sometimes agencies need to refocus on how the selection process goes when you're choosing the, the right peers to be, the, be that, whatever you want to call it, that go-to person when someone has, you know, has that type of behavior change. Or you know, maybe that person be proactive and be the person to say, hey, listen, let's go out and get a cup of coffee. I want to talk to you about something I heard you just say. You know what I'm saying? I do. And you know the adage, the best army is a volunteer army. And yes. so if you want to get a really good, dedicated peer resource officer, someone who is dedicated enough to take time to go to training, learn how to talk to people, um, develop active listening skills, and and be able to, to talk to, to people in regards to really serious issues... It's, it's got to be voluntary. I think to make someone go against their will um, or, or even to take a hard charger and say, hey, we want you to do this, um, maybe it'll be a misfit. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't assign someone to that task, yeah. but I would invite them. I would say, you know, like, look, everyone in this department thinks the, the most of you. 
would you want to put that to good use in, in working with people who might need some help? You know, make it, make it an, an, an offer or an invite as opposed to, you know, this is your new assignment. Because that I don't think will be successful at right, all. I mean, right. that'll, just, that'll just backfire. You'll get someone who's unwilling to do the job. No, I, I, I agree with you there that um, some of our best uh, peer resources um, have just been sort of thrown into the, the mix, right? right. They've, they're on the spot. Maybe right time, wrong time, I don't know. But, um, you know, after a fatal shooting that I was involved in, I talked to some really good people uh, afterwards, immediately afterwards at, at the station. I talked to our department psychologist afterwards. I got some really good support. Um, I think I think the, before the critical issue, before we hear somebody's driving down the freeway with a gun, saying goodbye to their friends or family. I think we're at that critical point that we should have gotten to long before that. So again, to get up a peer resource program through your own uh, state post agency, Mm -hmm. FBI has really good resources, their behavioral science um, group, and University of Virginia people put together a really good publication through the um, uh, DOJ website. Um, I think to, to be able to recognize things and pay attention to them and address them, sometimes they're uncomfortable. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not comfortable to, to set somebody aside and say, hey, there's something going on, right. let's deal with it. And so I think people are more likely to rationalize or say, oh, they're going to get it together. And um, they don't recognize. In, in San Francisco, I think we've done a really good job. We've had a great behavioral science group. And, and we've also incorporated into things like promotionals, where we want first-line supervisors to recognize patterns. Mm. Uh, so we'll put together an inbox that says, uh, repeatedly, this same person is calling in sick. Their reports are drastically worse than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, they're taking a lot of time off. They're uh, mood has been down. Um, there's been complaints against them when there've been none in the past. So we want uh, first line supervisors to be able to recognize those things and then do something about it. So that's the bottom line. Somebody's got to do something and intervene. You can't turn a blind eye and just hope it gets better. Jeff McGill, a um, police one columnist, has written on more than one occasion um, words to the effect of, "If you were injured, so let's say shot." Would you want the care now or a week from now? You know, so the most important thing is when, you know, someone's beginning to have some some difference in their behavior. It's at the very outset that the care is most effective because then you're not then you're not digging yourself out of a really deep hole. Right. You're digging yourself out of I got two shovels full of dirt I got to put back. That's all, you know. I mean, it's it's early intervention. It's it's um, it, that that can be tremendously effective. Um, on a side note, I do want to do want to mention um, for anyone listening to the program who is in crisis or is in peril in any way, um, there is a brand new resource available online. Uh, I wrote about it in June, and um, they're they're very they're just starting out, but there are resources where you go to first help. That's one s t help dot um, org, I believe. And um, it takes you to a web page where you, you are, you're asked if you're in immediate crisis or if you're um, a, 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 a um, provider of services, a couple of different questions, and it guides you to a variety of different resources, um, hearts beneath this, you know, that's, uh, it, um, 
I'm just scrolling through. Safe Call Now, uh, Heroes Are Human, and the First Responder Network are just three of the, uh, the websites that can provide services. Um, you know, and, and if as you're building out, if, you know, to the, to the police leaders out there listening, if you're building out your um, prevention programs, be advised about all of those online resources. They can be very effective. I think officers are often inclined to um, have a first contact with someone like Safe Call Now, but it's not part of the department that provides also very good support, not necessarily peer support, but, but support. 